few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. It's really sweet to see all of you. This is, this is nice. I guess it helps if it's right side up, right? Uh, two or three months ago, when Eddie mentioned something to me about the fact that he would love for me to get a chance to preach at least once before, uh, while we were still here at U- University Avenue, I told him I would think about it and decide if it was something I wanted to do. So as I gave it some thought, I decided that there were three good reasons uh, for me to take advantage of this opportunity. First, while I don't plan to start a preaching career at just the time Eddie's uh, ready to let go of his, I do feel called to support those young women in many of our Christian colleges and graduate schools and churches who have a strong desire to serve the church and the world in preaching ministry. I'm confident that Laura Kate in her training at Lubbock Christian or Ben at Harding University or Mitchell East as he went to ACU interacted with young women who have such a passion for preaching and who are deeply committed to completing the training that it's going to take to equip them to be preaching ministers of the church and to be able to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them in that way. I also thought about that in the sense that we have people in this church. We have Maddie growing up in this church. We have the Sutton girls. Uh, we have the, the four Nelson girls growing up in this church. And the thought that we could let, that at some day we're going to be sitting listening to one of those young women uh, preach is just the most amazing thing, isn't it? Next, while it used to be true uh, that women who felt called to preach might have difficulty finding churches who would welcome them, 
There are a growing number of churches like University Avenue who are courageously giving women and men equal opportunity to minister and serve. These churches are calling men and women to um, serve out of their giftedness, out of the way the Spirit is gifting them. And I'm so thankful that women and men are now being given the freedom to respond to that call in a positive way. I'm thankful for the chance to get to preach today, but I'm really thankful to get the chance to preach at University Avenue today. I love all of you, and I love the way our worship sounds when all of our voices are being heard. It means the world to me that you have given me the chance to minister in arenas that were never open to me before. And finally, the third reason that I decided I would uh, take this opportunity to preach today is that in the 46 years that I've been married to Eddie, I have listened to about 3,500 sermons, give or take a few. And I felt it was only fair that he sit in the pew and listen to me preach once. Let me tell you why I chose a passage, this passage in Mark 2 for our text today. I'm guessing that many of you have a favorite story from Scripture that you love or identify with because it closely parallels your own life experience. It is as if when you read that passage, in some way you feel like you're reading a piece of your own autobiography. You can easily imagine the actions and the thoughts and the responses of the biblical character because they are kind of your own thoughts and responses and actions. The story of Jesus healing the paralytic is that passage of scripture for me because my faith story has a past interaction and a present interaction with this story. I first adopted this text in 2004 uh, when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer. By that time, we had lived at Univer- in Abilene and at the university church there for a long time. We'd been there about 24 years already. And so we made the decision that we were going to tell our church family everything. We were going to tell them everything that was going on. Uh, my prognosis, my diagnosis was more unfavorable on, on the diagnosis chart, unfavorable than favorable. And I was going to need surgery, eight rounds of chemotherapy, and 39 radiation treatments. We decided uh, that we just couldn't walk that path alone. I couldn't even pray. I, I didn't even know what to say. Eddie needed support. And so we made a decision that we would tell our church family everything. All I could do was get through the emotional challenges of the day, uh, and Eddie, Eddie just needed somebody to be walk alongside him. So our church family rallied around us, and they kind of created this circle of support and comfort for us. They did what good, great churches do. They sent food and more food and more food, and uh, they sent cards. They sent gifts. Uh, they did all of those great things. But the very best thing that they did for us was that they prayed. Uh, They sent word to their friends all over the world uh, who prayed for me. And I know that University Avenue, even though you didn't know me, 
because of our sweet Donna and, and Jim being here, you prayed for me as well. And that's when I discovered um, this story in Mark 2. Friends and family and strangers became for me the four friends of the paralytic. They did the hard work of prayer, digging through the roof and lowering me into Jesus' presence. And Jesus, seeing their faith, blessed me with strength and healing. Often in accounts of the healings in the gospel, Jesus looks at the person he's healed and says, Go, your faith has made you well. Well, in my case, it was the faith of hundreds of people who made a difference and really merited. And so the reality of shared faith that God allows faithful people to credit their faith to the account of someone in need is one of the amazing things about being in Christ. And I know this because in 2014, when I had a second episode of breast cancer, you became those four friends again and again took your place as the friends lowering me into the presence of Jesus in prayer. I've carried this story in my heart for 15 years, and I have delighted in telling it over and over and over. But as I began to consider this as the text for today's lesson, I realized that I not only have a past interaction with this story, but that this story closely reflects my present faith journey as well. So I'd like to ask you to just step into this story with me today and look at it with me a bit. Here's the story of Mark 2, as Nathan has read it to us this morning. A few days later, Jesus came back to Capernaum. The news spread that he was back home. A large crowd gathered to hear him speak. The house was so full that there was no place for anyone to stand. Now, after Jesus was rejected in Nazareth, which was his hometown, and where he grew up, he moved to Capernaum to live. Mark tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel that while Jesus was there, he preached, he healed the sick, he cast out demons out of the demon-possessed, but then he tells us that he left to go to nearby towns to preach to those towns as well. And Mark says at the end of chapter 1, the news about Jesus spread and he could not enter a town if people saw him. He stayed in places where people did not live, but people from all the towns came to the places where he was. So it's not a surprise to us that when Jesus came back home, the hometown folks were really eager to hear him and to see him. Mark doesn't say this, but I imagine that this incident took place at the home of Peter and Andrew, where Jesus had been before. A large crowd gathered. Um, Jesus' disciples would have been there, along with all of the hometown folks who were so eager to hear Jesus. I imagine that there were some folks from some of the nearby towns who squeezed into the house because they wanted to hear Jesus speak too. The teachers of the law probably got inside and claimed the best seats. 
And those with different kinds of diseases would have sat patiently waiting during the time of teaching, waiting for the time of healing, because it was well known that Jesus always did both. So I imagine Jesus standing near the center of the room where his voice could be heard. I imagine him, his voice rising and falling. Don't you imagine it, him becoming very expressive and then getting quieter? One thing I do know is that I really believe Jesus uh, would have been really aware of everybody else in the room. I imagine him looking for an encouraging nod in this side of the room or watching a person with a puzzled frown over in this side of the room. Visualize his reaction then when bits of dirt and straw began falling down from the roof. And as digging noises above his head grew louder and louder, and as the face of one of these friends suddenly appeared in the opening above his head. I like to imagine the conversation that probably occurred between the paralytic and his four friends earlier in the day. Now Mark tells us in chapter 1 that when the word got out that Jesus had healed the mother-in-law of Peter, that the townspeople brought all the sick to Jesus for healing. So for whatever reason, this paralytic was not in that group that had been healed before. Maybe he didn't have anybody to bring him there that day. Maybe he was skeptical about what was going on and didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe he was just afraid to hope for a miracle on his own behalf. But for whatever his reason, when the word began to spread about those healings that occurred, his friends may have said, we promise you that when Jesus comes back to town, we'll make sure you get to see him. So on this day, those four friends have decided to keep that promise. They have vowed to keep that promise. When they get to the house and they realize that there are people crowding around the house everywhere and that there is no way to get in through the door, they take their friend up the outside stairway onto the flat rooftop and they begin digging a hole in the roof. As the hole grew bigger and bigger and as they began to lower their friend down on his mat into the presence of Jesus imagine people having to shift and move and 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 take a new position in order to allow this to happen I picture Jesus stopping mid-sentence and giving his full attention to these four friends as their arms are straining to lower their friend down in front of Jesus So let's read just a little bit of the text again. When Jesus saw how much faith they had, he said to the paralyzed man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there. They saw what Jesus did, and they said to themselves, Why does this man say things like that? What an insult to God. No one but God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what these teachers of the law were thinking. 
So he said to them, Why do you have these thoughts and questions in your minds? The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. But how can I prove this to you? Maybe you're thinking it is easy for me to say to the crippled man, Your sins are forgiven. There's no proof it really happened. But what if I say to the man, Stand up. Take your mat and walk. Then you will be able to see if I really have this power or not. So Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. Now I would confess to you that in the past, when I have imagined myself in this story as the paralyzed man being brought by others into the presence of Jesus, that I felt that the really central part of this story was this passage right here. Because this was the time when Jesus confronted the teachers of the law and established his authority on earth to forgive and to heal. In that scenario, the paralytic is a minor player, and quite frankly, I felt pretty comfortable in that role as a minor player. But as I've read the text again, in order to get ready for today, I find that I don't think that's exactly right. I don't think that's the whole story. Though the paralytic doesn't have many lines to say, This is still his story. He is the one who is coming face to face with Jesus. And while what Jesus reveals to the teachers of the law about his power to heal and his power to forgive, and while that's significant and important in Jesus' ministry, the reality is that the most significant thing happening in this scenario, scenario is that real forgiveness and real healing are occurring in the life of this man. His story reveals to us the best of what can happen when you come into the presence of Jesus Christ. Let me say that one again. The story of the paralytic reveals to us the best of what can happen when you come into the presence of Jesus Christ. So I want us to think about three things today and consider this. What does the paralytic find out about himself? What does the paralytic learn about Jesus? And how is his life transformed? First, what does the paralytic learn about himself? We know that he's decided he wants to be healed, or he and his friends wouldn't have gone to all this trouble and made a hole in somebody else's roof. He wants to walk and run. And perhaps unspoken underneath that is his desire to just be a different kind of person. He's been a certain kind of person, a paralytic, all his life. He wants to be somebody different. He doesn't want to be imprisoned by his illness. He wants to experience freedom. And so imagine then how he feels when the very first thing Jesus says to him is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'd been that young man, I probably would have said, 
Jesus, just how much sinning do you think a guy who's paralyzed like me can do? Or maybe he would have imitated the teachers of law and said, Who does he think he is? No one but God can forgive sins. Or maybe he just said, All right, all right, let's get on to the healing part. But in this case, and as in every case, when you come into the presence of Jesus, we don't control the agenda when we come into the presence of Jesus. When we step into the presence of Jesus, he takes control of the agenda. And in this case, Jesus wants the young man in our story to be as aware of the condition of his heart as he is the condition of his body. Jesus wants to see his, him to see his life with great clarity that the primary paralysis in his life was caused by sin, not disease. This is what I had to understand when the Holy Spirit prompted me to find myself in this story. In just the past few years, I've come to acknowledge the truth that my life has been shaped less significantly by two episodes of breast cancer than by being willful and self-referential and self-reliant. I've come to see that I've created barriers in my relationships by withholding love and emotion in order to protect myself. I've been disabled by defaulting to fearfulness and anxiety. I've been fragmented by lying to others to make myself look better. I stifled my spiritual growth by being spiritually lazy and indolent. I've been incapacitated by refusing to acknowledge prejudices in my heart. And I've been weakened by being careless with the hearts of other people. Those are the kinds of things that have paralyzed me through the years and that have prevented me from experiencing the life of freedom and abundance that Jesus has in mind for me. Paralysis caused by sin, not by disease. So let's go on and look at our second question for consideration. Jesus wanted the young man to see himself clearly, to see the fullness of what was going on in him, body and soul. But Jesus turns his eyes to look at the teachers of the law and their unspoken criticism of him. When he turns to them and begins his discussion with them, his words are meant for them, but they're also meant for the young man to hear. Because just as much as Jesus wants the young man to see himself clearly, body and soul, he wants the young man to see Jesus clearly. Jesus is the one who cares for his life. Jesus is the one who has the authority to forgive sin and give him, create in him a new heart. Jesus is the one who has the power to heal and give him a new body. He wants the young man to see himself as, to see Jesus as no one but God. No one but God can do these things. I haven't always known Jesus like this. 
I grew up in a time when we were taught a lot about God and a lot about the church, but quite frankly, there wasn't a whole lot said about Jesus except that he was the one who can forgive sins or he's the one who died for our sins. So I can remember in college when all the discussions started about um, having an intimate relationship with Jesus being close to Jesus, that I was pretty uncomfortable when my friends would start talking about Jesus as their friend or Jesus as someone that they loved and knew well. I didn't know how to respond when people would say to me, what's your personal relationship with Jesus like? Because I spent a lot of years, I'm not just talking like 10 or 15, I'm talking more like 45 or 50 or 55 years believing in Jesus without personally encountering Jesus. So one of the truths I've taken away from the Mark 2 story as it is my story is that sometime in our life we need to come face to face with Jesus. We need to come into the presence of Jesus. And this is why when we read the story of Jesus in the scripture, we are not meant to see how God can live a human life. We are meant to see the kind of life that God wants human beings to live. When we come face to face with Jesus, we see ourselves more clearly because we notice all the different places where we aren't like Jesus. And that's not for our shame, it's for our deliverance. Jesus is presented to us in scripture in so many ways, but it is so true that the times that we come face to face with Jesus are often in our darkest hours. And what we find is that we can feel the presence of Jesus at those times and know him in ways we've never known him before. This has been true for me. It has been in some of my worst times that I've felt the presence of Jesus and known that he was there and that I was in his presence most strongly. So finally, what transformed this young man's life? Imagine him sitting on his mat waiting for Jesus to talk to the teachers of the law. And then he says... Stand up, take up your mat. Remember, he tells the teachers of the law, what if I say to the man, stand up, take up your mat and walk? Then you will be able to see if I have this power or not. So then Jesus turns back and looks the young man straight in the eyes and says, I tell you, stand up, take your mat and go home. And in that moment, he offered the young man his deepest desire. He offered him freedom and release. And all the young man had to do was to believe that Jesus's power was real and to stand up and walk. This is the point in the story when the paralytic experienced the life change he had always longed for. And it happened at the point when he allowed his own truth and reality to be overshadowed by the truth and reality of Jesus. 
And when his confidence that Jesus' power to heal and to forgive was greater than the power of sin and the power of life circumstances that had held him captive all his life. And the scripture says, immediately he stood up and walked out of the room. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He trusted Jesus' reality. He let go of his own reality. And he walked out into this new life that Jesus had prepared, prepared for him. Isn't this just the very best story? Don't you just love this story? It's not just the paralytic story. It's my story. And it can be the story of anyone in this room and anyone you know. It is the story of the best of what can happen when you come into the presence of Jesus. Now, Eddie, in his training for preaching... Uh, which he was very kind not to do uh, too much of. But in his training, he said, you can spend the whole first part of the sermon talking about the what's so, but at some point in the sermon, you got to get down to the so what's. So there are three so what's I want you to take away today. First, the best of what can happen when you come into the presence of Jesus Christ is that you get to see yourself clearly as you really are I know from experience this process is not an easy one it is not one that happens quickly it's one that takes a long time it is one that will never be complete in your entire lifetime you may have to confront sin that is keeping you from experiencing the joy and abundance that Jesus has in mind for you We may have to acknowledge that our response to some life circumstance, an illness, an injury, a broken relationship, a senseless tragedy, or an unfulfilled dream, we may have to acknowledge that our response to that is keeping us paralyzed and entangled and weighed down. It may prevent our growth toward wholeness, either sin or our Um, entrapment in our life circumstance we may have to even to accept that we're not just paralyzed but all completely broken but here is the very best news of all if you're going to spend some time looking at yourself clearly and seeing yourself clearly in the presence of Jesus is the very safest place for you to be Next, the best of what can happen when we come into the presence of Jesus is that you have a chance to see Jesus clearly. Too often our view of Jesus is the one we inherited from our family of origin or it is shaped by memories we have at somebody in the church where we grew up who said things, inappropriate things to us, or maybe it's even our view of Christianity worldwide when things are done, um, travesties occur in the name of Jesus that don't, by people that don't even resemble Jesus at all. And so many times that's the Jesus that we hold in our minds and hearts. So we owe it to ourselves 
to come into the presence of Jesus with a desire to see Jesus as he truly is. And he's revealed to us so many ways in scripture. But one thing I love about this story of the paralytic is that the Jesus that is revealed, what a pure and simple view of Jesus this gives us. Jesus is the one who cares for our life, who has the authority to forgive sin and create clean hearts in us. He is the one who has the power to heal and change life circumstances. He is the one who is for us no one but God. When we come face to face with Jesus, his authority to forgive deals with our sin and his power to heal deals with our life circumstance and he gives us a new life instead of the broken one that we bring to him. So finally, the best that can happen when we come into the presence of Jesus is that we're set free to do good in the world. Jesus had to ask the invalid at the pool of Bethesda in John 9, do you want to get well? Imagine the ending of our story if at the end when Jesus said, take your mat and walk, the paralytic had gone, I'm afraid, I don't think I can do that, and he just sat there and did nothing. It is so tragic if we become so comfortable in our brokenness and so secure in our paralysis that we won't get up and stand up and walk when Jesus tells us to. So there's a poem by Teresa of Avila that we shared this weekend at our PAL retreat that goes like this. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body on earth now but yours. So when you come face to face with Jesus and he looks you in the eye and says, you're forgiven, you're healed, it's time for you to stand up, pick up your mat, and go do the good he needs you to do. There's a sweet, sweet song that I love. And it goes like this. I'll tell you the words. I'm not going to sing the song. But I'll tell you the words. It says, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. And I believe he is here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive. Ben, come lead us.